When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I'm Kyle Mikey, uh, Lions beat writer here at MLive, joined as always by Big Ben Raven. Uh, ben, it is uh, September 12, which means we're now, what, four days removed from a pretty epic win yeah. from the Lions 1 0 here as they move into the home opener this week against the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, it's a weird week coming off the Thursday opener, but a big game on deck and uh, a lot to talk about for the America's new team. <laughs> It is weird. I mean, we just heard so much hype throughout the offseason. And, you know, like you've heard here on the podcast, like you've seen in our stories, like it, it wasn't just hype. We were firm believers in that. I think I had them at 12 wins. You had them at 11. Yeah. Because of what we saw in camp, the depth, the the balance on offense and defense. We saw a lot of good stuff from the offense, obviously, but huge leaps from the defense. And, you know, we expected good things. I I don't think either of us expected them to go into Kansas City and win. <laughs> and then they did. And they did. I think the thing that was most impressive to me, Ben, just like we talked about coming out of the game, they didn't even play their best in that game. And they still won on the road against the defending champs on banner night. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City office not converting a single third down in the second half. I mean, tell me that a couple of weeks ago. And that's just out of this world but no like you said I mean there's a lot to clean up on offense you think I mean there weren't a lot of downfield shots and I mean there were there were points left on the scoreboard for sure and they still won that game and that's uh that speaks to that depth that you said that we've said for a couple months now for sure we talked a lot about that game um coming right out of it in a podcast and very happy to announce we'll be doing post-game podcasts the rest (laughs) of the year we enjoyed it so much um so we'll have those on deck throughout the year um you know, hearing from the locker room and and so on. Those are always pretty fun. And then we'll we'll be back um, as well with mailbags each week and got a mailbag on deck today, Ben. Lots of good questions, as you can imagine, from folks who are fired up. You know who's fired up is CJ Gardner Johnson. Oh my caught up with caught up with <laughs> I, Ben. I'm scared of the man. I'm not afraid to admit I'm legitimately frightened because when you say anything to that man, you have no idea what's going to come out of his mouth uh, in any direction. Uh, but he said in the locker room today that that you know uh, the Lions posted a um, uh, something on Twitter uh, from the tunnel uh, as they ran out onto the field before the opener, and Gardner Johnson was wearing a blue ski mask, and I honestly my dumbass thought it was just a fashion choice, like you know kids being kids or whatever. But there's actually a lot more to it. Yeah. You gonna see what's in there? Blue ski mask everywhere. Okay, what is the ski mask? What is the ski mask? You'll figure it out. Because it's going over your head. It, it's ski mask. I started work figuring it what out. What Cobra said, we villains, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the fans should wear ski masks? Part of us. It's the culture. I'm changing it. Blue ski masks. Yeah, you can get you one. One, one. Yeah. No yeah, paper bags. <laughs> no paper bags. Ski mask. We taking what's on. Well, you want the fans. Say it again. It's new shares in time. We'll, we'll mention it to the fans. I know. If that's what you want. I mean, you got to. It's already evident. They see with it on. Really? 
What's up? That's the first we've heard of it. I want some real questions. What's up? <laughs> He's talking about the villain mindset, and he really ran with what Brad Holmes had talked about in the offseason about adopting a villain mindset. It's clearly something that's seeping into the locker room um, where there's a lot of excitement these days. And Gardner Johnson said that he hopes not only that the entire defense wears <laughs> ski masks <laughs> out of the field for their home opener on Sunday against the Seahawks, but that all the fans do too, and that they replace the paper bags that we've seen for so many years with blue ski masks. I'm really, I'm just, with the excitement that's built around this team, but I just wouldn't be surprised to see some of that. I wouldn't be surprised to see it either because, I mean, CJ Gardner Johnson, man, I spent our last 25 minutes in the locker room today just, just watching him interact with people. And he is the same, always on dude that you see in Twitter clips and stuff like that, shouting out Detroit rappers, grabbing the camera from Fox <laughs> 2 and literally demanding a mic and doing like fake, like, cuts to commercials for them and stuff like that. But yeah, if uh, I'm, I'm expecting 15,000 blue ski masks, no less in Ford field. And it's going to be just absolutely hilarious. I mean, we're talking about just trying to figure out the last time we saw paper bags and it's like, man, it wasn't even two years ago where I can remember the last paper bag I found. And just, uh, man, that guy, he's embracing it for sure. Well, I remember Thanksgiving in 2020, um, seeing paper bags. Oh, That's yeah. when uh, Patricia was so coached. Things were, you know, the wheels were coming off. I remember after a 20 to nothing loss in Carolina on the Sunday before that Thanksgiving game, I wrote, and it was one of the more difficult things I had to write. I actually sent it to some people before I published it because I really wanted to like make sure that I was on firm ground in saying this. But it was my opinion, and I wrote in my column coming out of that Carolina game before Thanksgiving dead man walking yeah that's that, right. that that's yeah. literally something that i wrote and i and i wrote about how like you know if they didn't have the short turnaround to thanksgiving he might already be gone and that whether it was after the thanksgiving game or at the end of the year uh he was going to be gone after that game and sure enough they lost on thanksgiving and he was canned uh, in a pretty ugly game against the texans um so i feel feel pretty good about what i wrote it was an awkward thing to walk into a press conference after writing that though <laughs> but my point being that thanksgiving game i remember seeing the paper bags yeah. on on faces you know um and it's remarkable to see how far everything has come since that day from you know wrapping up that season to the hiring process that brought that brought relative unknowns to detroit and Brad mm -hmm. Holmes and Dan Campbell and I think we saw what the team saw in Dan Campbell, but there was a lot of unprovenness to him as a candidate and head coach. Um, there was a lot of um, skepticism, I would say, nationally. We saw a lot of um, columns and and different content basically mocking the kneecap yeah. thing and how can this meathead be a coach? And now here we are. And like obviously we know Dan Campbell is not a meathead, and there's a lot more to him than just the frothy quotes, you know. Um, but it's interesting to see – this locker room adopt, you know, adopt his mentality. And now mm -hmm. we're seeing it with, for example, CJ Gardner Johnson and some of the, I mean, they're really not taking on this thing of them becoming the favorite uncomfortably. They're really running with it. And, you know, we should win the North and we're the villains and really pounding their chests. And I think in a lot of ways, taking on the um, personality of their pretty fearless uh, leader, Dan Campbell. Yeah, no doubt. And I just I just always go back to Ragnew and like his quote that he had next to Brad Holmes. The the two minutes he talked during those twenty-five minutes, I think it was, it was just like it's easy to stay hungry when you haven't even made the freaking playoffs. And I mean that paired with that just I mean, Dan Campbell, just paired with that and just how it's trickled down to this roster. I mean, it really is. There there's a there's like one clear vision. There's like one clear page that everybody is on around here. And man, we talk about being favorites. 
they're they're one of the league's strongest favorites in week two games against a team that made the playoffs, against a team that's beat them twice in a row, against a team that dropped 48 points on them last year at Ford Field. And just to see everything come forward like that is just really impressive. They remember those 48 points. Yes, they do. So I think we're going to see them. I mean, just for all the reasons from the home crowd. I mean, my ears, like I'm thinking about bringing like earplugs to the game on yeah. on Sunday because it's the the to see the crowd we saw – in Kansas City, I can only imagine what the crowd is going to look like with the fervor that's building around this team. Uh, with all the excitement, Ben, it shouldn't be a surprise that we got a million mailbag <laughs> questions, but we did. So maybe we, maybe we can roll through some of those now. Uh, we got a lot of questions this week about Taylor Decker and his status. So maybe we can start there mm-hmm. uh, from John W., from David. These these all come from our Insider Text Program. Again, uh, go to any Lions Story and M Live. You can figure out how to enroll in that. It's a pretty cool program, being able to talk with yeah. people directly. David and John W. and a whole other bu- bunch of other people want to know about the status of Taylor Decker uh, and how optimistic it is that he played in the game despite his ankle injury that he suffered in that game, but also left uh, after that game in a boot and basically what's his status. I saw him personally walking to the bus in a boot. I, I don't know if anyone else saw that or not. I, they were kind of low key about it in the locker room. I saw Decker and they're showering up. Everything seemed pretty normal. And I was actually looking at Dan Campbell going to the bus. Um, thought I might get some color for my column coming out of the game. I didn't end up getting that, but we're just taking kind of taking in the scene. It was kind of interesting to see Dan Campbell talking to like in this, momentous moment where they've just won this huge game on the national stage, really have made a statement. Dan Campbell has a million things going on. And I actually saw him going toward the team bus and stopping for, I'd say about two minutes to talk to the movers, <laughs> the guys who packed the guys who packed the trucks with the the equipment. He was laughing with those guys and having a word. I, I, I think that says a lot about Dan Campbell and the guy mm-hmm. that we've gotten to know. And then I turned around and started walking back toward the locker room. And that's when I saw Decker in the boot um, and he did not practice. Um, once the lines we took the field this week, Ben, on, on Tuesday, we're recording this here on Tuesday. Um, and so I think that there is concern at this point for Decker and his availability. Um, he has played every snap, um, going back all the way through last season. He didn't miss a single offensive snap all year. Um, so it has a bit of an Ironman streak going. He, he's obviously going to be out there if he can. He played through appendicitis, as he told us here on the podcast last year. Go find that episode if you want to hear something effing crazy because. Uh, I I mean I don't know if, have you had appendicitis? No, no, nope. it, it's painful. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And he the man played left tackle <laughs> with appendicitis, so if he can play through the ankle, he will, and I'm confident in saying that. But having him not practice today, um, I think, is a, a cause for concern going into this game. Yeah, there's there's definite cause for concern. It's he's one of those guys that you just alluded to. That's like if he can go, he can go. But like, yeah, the walking boot—that's no joke. That's usually a sign that you're doing your best to stabilize everything and get swelling down as quick as possible. But yeah, like you said, before Decker left the locker room, it did look like business as usual. And I saw Frank make eye contact, Frank Gragno make eye contact with him, and just like you good, you good, and just like yeah, yeah, yeah. And he rushed out of there. And I think the only thing we got from Dan Campbell on Monday, we didn't talk to him today, was he's good. We'll see. And just that's a pretty on brand answer. But yeah, that's a. Uh, he didn't practice today. We'll see how that goes the rest of the week. But that's that's definitely a concern. I mean, he's one of those freak shows on that offensive line that they just played one freaking game together and already it's a question mark again. Matt Nelson is the listed mm-hmm. backup, which is which is an obvious downgrade. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised to see Pene Sewell at left tackle yeah. if if Decker can't go. Um, based on like wink, wink things that we can see that we can't necessarily say. <laughs> yeah, um, I got that text. I'm just going to leave yeah. it at that. I think, <laughs> I think people connect the dots here without getting me in trouble, <laughs> getting my credential revoked. But trust me when I say there's a pretty good chance that Panesa will be the left tackle if if it comes to Decker not playing uh, against Seattle. Um, but that sh- also shouldn't be a surprise because when Decker had the yeah. finger injury and couldn't open the season uh, in 2021, Panay Sewell, who was then 20 years Jeez. old, <laughs> they moved him the week before the game from right tackle to left tackle. And he started at left tackle that day. He was the youngest left tackle in NFL history. And he had some maybe ups and downs um, in those first eight games at that spot. Mostly good, though. And he, I thought he was particularly good in the opener, actually, against Nick Bosa and the, the 49ers. Um, obviously, he's become a much better player now. With, yeah. I'd, I'd say close to dominant. Uh, in year two last year on the right side. Um, and then the opener this year, Ben, zero pressures allowed, the ninth best tackle left or right side, according to Pro Football Focus, in the first weekend of the season. So, the, I mean, the speed, the agility, the just physicality that Sewell brings to position, I mean, it, it really makes him a unique player at that position. Uh, and I think it's pretty seamless to move him to the left side. And that's why I would expect to see if Decker can't go. Yeah, and you absolutely trust Panay filling in for those reps. I mean, both in pass protection and on the ground game. I mean, look up Brandon Thorne or Mitchell Swartz's highlight clips from that Lions-Chiefs game. And I mean, I've watched that David Montgomery touchdown run about 25 times in a row. Panay just sealing off three guys. But yeah, Matt Nelson, he's an experienced guy that the coaching staff knows well. But I would fully bet on Panay being on that left side of Decker can't go. And they should feel all right about that. Over on Twitter, Zach Snyder, regular reader, shout out Zach. Mm-hmm. He wants to know about Jameer Gibbs. Uh, it would make sense to ease Gibbs in if there seem to be any issues with his readiness and to contribute either mentally or physically, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Is there a good reason that isn't as obvious as to why the Lions are bringing him along slowly? Gibbs was a featured component, Ben, mm-hmm. in the offense throughout the offseason, both in the passing game as well as the running game. Uh, he was used sparingly, I would say, uh, in the opener, particularly in comparison to what we saw throughout camp. Got 19 snaps, which was pretty low. I think it all, it's also worth pointing out he touched the ball nine times on those 19 snaps. So they were feeding him. He touched the ball like 50% of the time when he was out there and did some really good things. That 17-yard run, man, that was a thing of beauty down the left sideline. I mean, you saw him do the, the little spin out. I think he kind of juked the defender. Like, I think the defender <laughs> thought he was going to spin the other way. And he spins to the inside, gets past him, then lowers his shoulder and shows some physicality that maybe we hadn't seen to this point. The dude is the real deal. Oh, yeah. uh, he's so fast and so athletic uh, and so agile. You're 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 going to see more of him. That's the thing that we've seen them practice all summer. Uh, he's going to be a, a featured component in this um, in this offense, both on the ground and through the air. Uh, and to my eyes, he was the best home run hitter in all of camp, and that includes Jamison Williams. So you're going to see him more, and I think you're going to see him here more in week two. We have Dan Campbell talking a little bit about the usage there, maybe why it was so low and what to expect from Gibbs going forward. Let's listen to that, and then I'll get your take on the other side. First game uh, out of the gate there again, man, and we really didn't want to overload any of those guys. Um, I think it's important you go in and let them get a feel of what it's going to be like you know, that's the first one. Um, let's go in and make sure that that uh, the guys that have been around here, the guys that have taken a load for us, that we've been in games with, 
that that they take on a bigger load and and we work these rookies in and get them a feel of it and and now they got that one under their belt so for Gibbs he's gonna he'll begin to get more touches now so that was just the beginning last night Ben your thoughts on what the Lions are doing here with Gibbs yeah, I was only surprised by the two targets in the passing game. I really expected him to be more of a focal point in that category. And I hear what Dan's saying about a rookie, just letting him get a taste of it and then get going out there. And obviously they trusted Gibbs enough for some of those fourth quarter touches that he had there. I mean, that big 18-yard run came on a first and 15, extended a drive, had a nice little post-up move on the spin to get outside. But uh, I, I, the way I looked at it was the Chiefs were out, Chris Jones in the middle of their defense, David Montgomery is your bell cow beefy back. And I mean, you saw how the Lions put that game away by just riding Montgomery up the gut, off those guards, off of Panay Sewell. And I just think maybe it was a matchup thing. Maybe it was a rookie thing. But the only thing that really surprised me about it was just the two targets in the passing game. But yeah, you say those nine touches, Credited with six forced missed tackles on nine touches. <laughs> that dude's going to see the ball a lot more in both the passing and rushing game. I really do think it was just a first game out of the gate situation. In terms of matchup, I do think we're going to see Montgomery a lot in the situations like we saw in the fourth quarter where you're trying to ice away the game. I mean, he's your guy who's going to run between the tackles. He's going to get north. He's going to get yardage. He might not hit the home run like Gibbs will, but he is the right choice, I think, in a situation where you're just trying to drain clock. So that was a matchup that I expect to see, you know, Montgomery over Gibbs. And other than that, I don't, I do think his usage is more about letting a really young guy who played one season in the SEC mm-hmm. um, just get his feet wet. I mean, if this game was on a Sunday afternoon against the Jaguars, maybe it plays out differently, but it's the national stage. It's the first game of the year. Every eye in America that cares about football <laughs> is watching you and you're playing against defending champs who have a, a pretty good defense. Um and I and you look at the usage across the board with the rookies. I mean, Brian Branch played the whole game, but you know Sam Laporta was in and out. Jack Campbell was in and out. Um, so I they did bring along these rookies slowly, mm-hmm. and I think that with the experience they have back from last year's team, that that that's a good approach, and clearly it worked. Um, and I think with a guy like Gibbs, you know, he's such a good home run hitter, but he does have like a. His personality is is so introverted. I don't know if that kind of stuff plays into it or not. I, I, I really don't. Campbell hasn't gotten too specific on it, but I just wonder if they're letting a, a, a very young kid who has one year of major college football experience under his belt just come along slowly, you know, and um, get his feet wet. Don't put too much on his plate. Just let him get a feel for the game and the speed of the game. And clearly he handled that assignment well. And I, I, I think very clearly we're going to see more from Gibbs going forward. Yeah, because I think the easiest way to replace JMO's speed is finding new looks for Jameer Gibbs. Right, right. And we they're yeah. going to try to get more explosives, and we'll get to that uh, here in a moment. Um, I mean, I guess we can do it right now, right? Um, so Christian Christian Anderson uh, Anderson, it, he he's from the Insider Text. I I'm sorry, Christian. I don't know how to say your name. But <laughs> we'll get that from you on we'll subtext. Yep. <laughs> but he says, hey, guys, thanks so much for your excellent and tireless coverage. Emphasis on tireless after <laughs> that thing. Ben and I slept for a combined 25 minutes and after. I had them all. Yep. Yep. <laughs> after, the, after the opener and before we recorded. Um, anyway, um, moving forward, um, do you think we might see Ben Johnson utilize Khalif Raymond and maybe Antoine Green some more in the passing game? The ability to stretch the field seems lacking until JMO returns, but maybe Raymond uh, or or Green can provide some help there. Uh, so he's asking about the vertical attack, which we kind of got into uh, just now, Ben. And th- you know that was a concern we had going to the game. We we yeah. talked about it, and it's like they they have so many pieces. 
that can move the ball. Amon Ross St. Brown is one of the best in the game at that. We saw it time and time again in Kansas City. We saw it on the nine-yard touchdown uh, catch to, to open uh, the NFL season. It was the first score of the season. Um, really good stuff there. We, you know, we saw Josh Reynolds get going. Um, you saw Gibbs get going. Uh, Sam Laporta had five catches, uh, but they were only for, I don't know, 30, 40 yards, something like that, because it was mostly an intermediary part of the field. And yeah. I think we'll see more of Laporta downfield in the future, but it just didn't happen in the opener. I do think that what this offense is missing without JMO is that that guy to stretch the field vertically. And that's that's why he was brought in. It's why DJ Chark was signed last year to help provide some of that. Um, and they don't have Chark this year. They don't have JMO for the first six games of the year because of the suspension. So Ben, I, you know, in terms of their options downfield, like we've seen Khalif Raymond make some plays downfield. I just don't think that's yeah. his bag. You know, like he is what five foot 10 or something. And he's really good player. I'm not taking anything away. And he's really good. I mean, like he makes plays with the ball in his hands. Like, it, you know, they try to get him involved, but in terms of the vertical attack, it's really not his bag. He just, he just has such a small target out there. Yeah. I, I think yeah. they have to get more inventive to find someone to get that vertical attack going. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like, Kind of like you said, Khalif is most dangerous off a slant. He's almost dangerous off like a jet sweep when he's able to get that kind of – he's not going to be the downfield tight window. I mean, he drop a bucket in his lap and he'll take care of you for sure. But like you said, I mean, he's not 6'1". He's not 6'2". There's there's a difference there, and that's nothing against Raymond. I mean, he has outpunched his weight class since he got here for sure, and there are uses for him in this offense, but just – even looking at him next to Jameer Gibbs, I'm like, that's a potential downfield threat right now. You can get tricky with your play calling right there. And, mm-hmm. and thankfully for them, they have Ben Johnson. There are ways to scheme things open downfield. They have a lot of interesting parts right now. And I understand why the questions about Antoine Green are coming in, but like yeah. we didn't see him in the opener. He There's a reason he played yeah. hero snaps. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we were kind of surprised. I, I was personally, he didn't even get the kick return reps. Not that I expected them to even field a single return. So I would tamper all expectations on offensive snaps for Antoine Green out of the gates for sure. I I, I don't yeah. see his ability to lift that vertical attack right now. You know, they're just going to have to get inventive with it. Like you said, St. Brown, Raymond, Gibbs. I mean, you've got some speed there. You've got some <laughs> great all-around skill in St. Brown, but it's just it's going to be tough to get those downfield throws you were seeing with Shark last season. Maybe Josh Reynolds is that guy, but he's kind of like a red zone guy to me. You know, he's not going to get separation kind of like Marvin Jones, 25, 30 yards downfield. I think maybe if they get the right man-to-man matchup with Sam Laporta, maybe that's something that you could see. You know, he's not going to outrun a defensive back, but if you get some hulking, um, you know, interior guy on him, um, that man can run. So maybe that's a matchup they could exploit. Um, you know, Jameer Gibbs um, out of the backfield. We, you know, we have to be careful how much we divulge about yes. <laughs> um, formations and get real specific like that that we saw in training camp. But let's just say we saw Gibbs making plays downfield, mm-hmm. and that's something that could be um, in the cards as well. Uh, at least until they get get through here. And I'll also med- mention real quickly a guy that we haven't talked about yet, which is Marvin Jones. Mm-hmm. Marvin Jones was a deep threat to some degree uh, in his first stint in Detroit. Had a really bad return to Detroit in Kansas City. Real forgettable. Two catches for not many yards, uh, a couple of drops in there, and, of course, the fumble uh, in the red zone, which took points off the board. So Marvin's a guy they, they're going to look to get get going as well. Moving along, Jillian um, asks, hey, G-Money here, longtime listener, first-time uh, subtexter. <laughs> I want to know how Kyle ended up in Utah. <laughs> I'll take my answer off the air. I don't know if G-Money expected us to actually feel this question, but I think it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> I did end up in Utah coming back. Like like I said, like we, 
I did not sleep before recording the podcast because of um, column and other um, print um, obligations. And so I think I got an hour of sleep then before <laughs> waking up to wrap some things up and then head to my my flight. And I was um, on the phone with somebody. I hung up and I'm like, I should just check my flight to make sure I'm not like like late or something. And I looked at my flight information. And in that moment, my flight was getting canceled <laughs> out of Kansas yeah. City. And Delta told me I wasn't going to get out until the, the following day. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. So I called Delta, you know, I don't know how much people really want to hear about my travel odysseys, but yeah, they, basically they said, the lady was very nice. And she said, I've got one seat for you that gets you <laughs> to Detroit today. And it goes through Utah <laughs> and I end up way out, out West um, and uh, chill there for a while before flying back in the middle of the night to Detroit. It was a, very long day on low sleep. I will add Delta was very kind to put me in first class. So I'm just going to put that. I was, I felt like I was living like Dan, our friend, Dan Miller for a second. <laughs> Got the, 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 the tablecloth for my like in-flight meal. It was lovely. It was uh, a different side of life that this beat reporter does not usually get to see, but I will say real quickly, just to add to that story, Ben, when I was in Utah uh, flying to Detroit, the pilot came on or over the intercom at one point and was basically like, you know, you know, fly safely, blah, 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 like the usual stuff. And he's like, you know, um, uh, I'm from Detroit, home of the Lions. Home of the Lions. And that actually stuck with me, like the way he said that, like I'm from yeah. Detroit, home of the Lions, because that that used to mean something and it used to mean something very different than it does now. And clearly I think it speaks to like, like I'm out in Utah and the guy's talking about, I'm from Detroit, home of the Lions. It, it just speaks to kind of this excitement that we're feeling around this team. <laughs> I'm sitting in Charlotte's airport eating my Bojangles and, you know, you get your phone updating as it does after you get on a plane and just a message from Kyle, like, flight canceled, heading to Utah. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get into. That first class makes up for it, though. That's a nice way back for sure. A lot of good vibes coming out of that game, Ben. Um, I, I always like to kind of take the opposite look sometimes, too. If there's good vibes, there's got to be bad vibes. Um, Mike Urkel from Twitter did ask about that, and I like that a lot. Um, it's kind of forward thinking because you're never perfect, and that game was definitely not perfect. No. So he asks, as it stands right now, what is the weak link in the position groups? Does something pop in your brain? Yeah, vertical wide receiver and kicker are the two at the top of my list. Obviously, we didn't see much of Riley Patterson in the opener, but I think that's among their weakest links right now is the starting kicker position. And obviously, we just spent a lot of time with vertical receiver. But yeah, that's 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 something missing from the offense right now. And I think that was pretty evident from that opening game. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I don't have much to add. So I think we could just move along. I I, I do think the, the vertical uh, component in the passing game needs to be found, you know, mm -hmm. because the longer you go without having that element, the more you're going to see defenses creep toward the line yeah. of scrimmage. And that'll take away some from Aman Ra, from Gibbs, some of the stuff they want to do closer to the line of scrimmage. So CJ wants to know, what are your thoughts on Will Harris playing over Tracy Walker for the few snaps that Brian Branch came out? Yeah, basically um, asking about um, their decision there to play yeah. uh, Will Harris, which is a little curious that, you know, Tracy Walker is definitely a better player, but they played Will Harris for that, that rep where for that series where Brian Branch was out with cramps. And by the way, thank God it's just cramps because this is after the pick six. Like, yeah. <laughs> already there was so much excitement for Brian Branch. And then he has the pick six. It kind of turns the momentum a little bit, ties up the game in the third quarter. And then you see him go down in kind of a strange way, uh, and totally non-contact. Mm -hmm. And when you think non-contact, you you don't think good things usually. Uh, and it turned out just to be cramps. Um, so that's a that's a good thing. And he was back in the game, no problem. But we did see Harris play over Walker. I think I don't think we have to get too deep into this. I think it really just comes down to 
if they had a week to prepare for a Brian Branch absence, you would see Tracy Walker on the field at safety yeah. and you would see Gardner Johnson in the slot. But because it happened mid-game and they practiced so – I mean, we haven't seen Gardner Johnson take a slot snap in like a month because mm-hmm. you know, since they moved back to the back line. So I think it was a matter of them not wanting to disrupt the rhythm they had already established elsewhere in the defense and just plugging in a guy who, let's be frank, has never been that good in Detroit – but can at least tread water most of the time, knows the defense, knows the role. Um, and I think they they ruled that was like less of a gamble, having Will Harris mm-hmm. out there and disrupting just the slot position rather than moving pieces around, including Gardner Johnson, yeah. where he had to a position he hadn't played in a month. Yeah, and to your point, Brian Branch said these cramping issues have really followed him since college. So maybe they knew more than us yeah. in the moment. And like you said, it's easier to slide Will in there for 10, 15 defensive snaps, whatever it was. Than, but yeah, that, in the moment, I was very surprised. But that makes me think maybe they knew it was just cramping and they were going to be able to get him back out there. In the best question of the week... <laughs> Cody asks, oh, if, if if existence precedes essence, can there really be a God? And was Broderick Martin inactive Thursday? <laughs> it's like, I think there's more like interesting things to ask about, but the way that was worded, that you're, de- you're like, if you're that clever, you're definitely making the mailbag. Uh, I always enjoy a good laugh, and I laughed at that one. Uh, but yeah, Broderick Martin, the third round prick, was inactive. I think that's something we might see here early in the season as he figures out his pad level and the technique of the game. He played his college ball at North Alabama, at Western Kentucky. Uh, it might take him a little bit of time to figure out the finer points of playing on a trench in the NFL where everyone's bigger. I mean, I mean, Broderick Martin's a he's a mountain. He's oh, the, yeah. you cannot miss him because he's a he is a mountain on the field. I have. He's tall, he's big, he's broad, like he's all the things you want in terms of girth. And I can see how a man like that at North Alabama would push everything around that was in front of him. But that's not going to work in the NFL. We saw brilliance from him at times, including, mm-hmm. um, you know, knocking uh, Frank Regna off his feet on, on one uh, big play uh, in camp. I think it might have actually been pretty, it was one of the first days of hitting, actually, if I remember right. Or maybe even a, a scrimmage. I, yeah. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Yeah, but It feels like eons ago. <laughs> no doubt. So he's got talent, and I think you're going to see him at some point this year. But with the rise of, say, Benito Jones, who Mm -hmm. won the starting job alongside Lee McNeil, who himself is playing really good ball right now. Levi Enzarica is playing the best ball. We've seen him from him as a pro. Um, There's good depth, I would say, on the interior. We saw some good things from the interior against Kansas City. Um, They can bring the kid along slowly. Um, And I think that's what we'll see here early in the season. But I do think you're going to see Broderick Martin uh, more as the season progresses, and he has a chance to, you know, fine-tune his technique. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I don't think it surprised any of us to see Broderick Martin inactive last week because also I think that's a matchup thing, too. I mean, Bugs didn't play either. Bugs was scratched from that lineup, too. I think there's going to be some surprises on the defensive line and the defensive edges week in and week out on inactives, I think, just because, I mean, they have so much inside-outside versatility, depth on the outside, and when you're playing the Chiefs, you're trying to create as much pressure as possible. You're kicking Pascal, you're kicking Kaminsky, you're even kicking Aiden Hutchinson inside a little more. So I think that played into it, but he's he's raw right now. We're saying the same things about Broderick Martin that we were hearing about James Houston this time last year. Raw, you see the vision, developmental stage right now. Got an interesting question from Dave Rymink. Uh, I believe this is from Twitter. Well, whatever. Dave asks, um, Panay Sewell is the youngest guy on the offensive line with a bunch of freak shows. Why do you think he was elected captain over Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnow? I did think that was interesting mm-hmm. because if memory serves, I think 
Panay is 22 years old. Like I'm pretty sure I have a sweatshirt in my closet older than Panay Sewell. I, I think that's an actual real thing. Um, but his, first of all, captains were determined by a player vote. So this isn't just like a coach saying, okay, I'm going to will this to happen. Um, players voted Panay Sewell a captain. And I think that says a lot about first the ability mm. uh, because he's not a real vocal guy. He's not the guy you expect to go out in the press and say something, um, whatever. Like he's that, that he's just not built that way. He barely talks to us. I would say most of the time. Sometimes you catch him in the right mood and he'll say something. <laughs> but um, but it, it says a lot then about his play and and not just being really good because there's lots of really good players on this team it's the way that he plays the tenacity the ferociousness the relentlessness um he embodies a lot of what you know we hear grit all the time and i'm kind of reticent to use that word because it feels cliche to me a little bit um but that is Panay Sewell. He's that grit that everyone keeps talking about. He he he's he's nasty. And we we actually we saw he played a fantastic game in Kansas City. The one mistake he had was a personal foul where he was mixing it up with, yeah. <laughs> with the Chiefs and it went both ways. So there's no it didn't cost the team anything. But that's the I mean, we saw this guy as a as a rookie taking on Aaron Donald, like in extracurriculars, you know, going after him. Um I think it was after a play, it came kind of close to Matt, came kind of close mm-hmm. to Matthew Stafford. Um so I think it comes down to Panay embodying a lot of what this team wants to be about. And I will say uh, pregame uh, in Kansas City when they had their pregame warm-up, warm-ups and then they were about to go into the locker room for their final preparations and then run onto the field for the start of the game. You know, they always break down the team as a total unit uh, at that point before going back into the locker room. And it was Panay Sewell that was breaking yeah. down the huddle. So it, uh, it could, this isn't a put on by coaches or just trying to do anything like that. It's... Panay is a real leader on this team, and he might lead in a less vocal way than you're used to. But I think he is, in a lot of ways, the the heartbeat of this team. No, and absolutely. And I think it was Dan Campbell a couple of weeks ago that was like, there is a reason why he was the first guy we drafted when we got here. Like, he is a cornerstone. He is one of the pillars, like, for sure. And, I mean, even Amon Ross St. Brown in that same category, he's not going to be the rah-rah, give you a speech before the game type guy. He's going to be the guy that – Lays a nasty block, runs a perfectly run slant, gets up and does it again the next play. And I mean, I don't like saying the word grit too much either, but you just look at those two guys and it's kind of like the next coming, the next generation taking on more of a say, more of leadership on this franchise. And I think that is important. I mean, Decker is kind of like one of the voices of this team for sure. I mean, if there's a post-game home locker room breakdown, the most people are usually surrounding Taylor Decker to hear what he's got to say about where he's been, where they're going and all that. And Frank Ragnall's the quarterback of that offensive line at center, but just like I think it was Hank Fraley today was just like saying exactly what you said. Like Panay plays the way that we want those guys to play. It's just day in, snap in, snap out the way he is on the practice field, the way he is on the football field. I mean, lead by example. They got a lot of guys who can when you have Dan Campbell, a guy like who can talk like that, there's a lot more room for lead by example types. And I think Panay is a guy that will hold you accountable if you're slack. And I mean, I don't think there's any fear in him raising his voice there. So I really do think it's just put more it's put more responsibility in two of your pillars. The Lions are one and0 as everyone knows, they'll look to go two and0 next week uh, on Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. It's the home opener for the Lions. Let's maybe close this mobag with a couple of Seattle related questions. Yeah. Um, I think Mike Wilder asks a good question on Twitter. He asks, I'm afraid of a letdown after the big win last week. How does Dan Campbell keep this group from reading their own press clippings and being overconfident this week against a team that put it to them offensively last year? 
What are your thoughts on that, on, on just avoiding the letdown, the emotional letdown? You know, you just continue to practice what you preach, you know, that next game mentality. That's such a cliche, but just like treat every game the same. That's, I mean, that's how you do it. I mean, there's, I, I don't think this is a bulletin board game, but this is a team that's beat them twice in two years, a team that took the final NFC playoff spot last year, a team that dropped 48 points on you at home last year. I mean, that's a motivating game. I mean, I we know the guys in that locker room. It's easy to see them being naturally motivated by a chance to play the Seahawks. So it's just, you know, don't don't veer from what you're doing. That's that's how they keep from reading their own press clippings. I mean, shoot, Frank Ragno was shocked to hear about Jared Goff's historic streak. <laughs> Jared Goff joked around us today, like, what streak? It's just about doing what they've been doing and sticking to it. I mean, this, there shouldn't be any motivating factors needed for the Seahawks team. Uh, I think uh, you're right, though. But like, I think it's easier said than done. You know, there's the up down theory in the NFL. You 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 play good one week, you play bad the next. Like I, I think there's a lot of reason for that. There's so much parody. Mm-hmm. And listen, like when you lose, like what we saw from the Lions last year, like they were starved for winning and uh, yeah. for a win. They they brought a different juice to the game. And once the talent measured up with that, we saw some wins down the stretch. And I mean, I think they're going to beat Seattle. I'm not saying otherwise, but I think that there is some reality to what uh, Mike is asking um, in terms of the emotional letdown. We see it all the time, like getting up for that game in Kansas City against the champs on the night they're getting their their trophy. There's a trophy celebration yeah. with like 100 foot trophies <laughs> on the field, crazy. Yeah. Um, in front of the, the the most raucous house in the NFL. Um, you feel like the world is against you, um, even though a lot of the world loves the Lions these days. Um, it's easy to get up a game up for a game like that and they've been doing it for three months for four months they won that game yeah. kudos all the kudos in the world but now they have to flip the page and play seattle and it's a new challenge with different players and and you know playing while riding high is a totally different thing than playing with your back against the wall and let's be absolutely frank here this is the detroit lines they know nothing mm-hmm. but playing with their back against the wall for forever that locker room is filled with players homegrown players who have known nothing in their entire careers yeah. besides playing with their back against the wall like frank ragnow has never played like last year's team the 98 team was the best team he's ever played for <laughs> before that i think his best season was like four wins or something um and the locker room is filled with guys like that so I think Ben, to to Mike's question, like, what's the key to avoiding this emotional letdown? I I think there's leaning on guys like Jared Goff, mm-hmm. like CJ Garner Johnson, um, like Cam Sutton, veterans who have been around, like they've been around places that have won, that know what it's like to to play with expectation, to tune out the world because the NFL is massive and the world is celebrating these guys right now. They're all retweeting and reposting and re-Instagramming and whatever. Um, all their own videos, like they're clearly reading the quote unquote press clippings and writing high. And you're right. The questioner is right. Like you have to tune that stuff out and go on to the next week. But how do you actually do that? Because it's easy to see these guys really savoring this win and there's nothing wrong with that, Ben, but it, it, it's hard to continue to win like that in a league where they, like Seattle just lost. They're yeah. going to be desperate to win. Um, and if you don't come out hard, you're going to get beat. Um, and so Jared Goff knows what that's like from his L.A. days going to a Super Bowl. Like Garner Johnson went to the Super Bowl last year with Philly. Cam Sutton comes from the Steelers who have won for forever. Um, knows what it's like to have some stability and what it's like to expect to win. Like this roster is filled with guys who don't know what it's like to ex- to be expected to win. And they've won this game. But how do you avoid this feeling like the Super Bowl and coming out and losing three straight? Like, like I think it's really looking and leaning on leaders like that who have had the taste 
before because I think this really is a unique challenge and it's one that a lot of this roster has never had to live with before. No, and I mean, it is a fair point. I mean, Kansas City's been the next game up for two months, for three months, for four months, whatever the heck it is. So, I mean, that's absolutely a great point. It, it is. I mean, no, that's – I don't have much more to add than that. Yeah, that's perfectly yeah. right. Yeah, lean on Jared Goff. I mean, that guy, say what you will about him, but that's the same demeanor every time he freaking steps in front of us, it seems like, just with that kind of just mentality. So, yeah, just use that. Joseph Martin asks, I don't think Seattle is as bad as they showed in week one. But the injuries to both offensive tackles will make things tough for them against Hutch and company, regardless of whether those guys give it a go. After hanging hanging a combined 99 points on the line in the last two games. Yes, that's actually correct. I looked it up. 99. uh, There's no way this game ends up as another shootout. Right? Right? Ben, what what do you think of that one? Yeah, I'm I'm higher on the Seahawks. I entered this season higher than the Seahawks, kind of believe in them and Geno. But I really don't think this game will be a shootout because the the Seahawks, even though they have DK Metcalf, even though they have Tyler Lockett, Smith Nigja out of Ohio State, they've 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 spent a lot of money on running backs. Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, a lot of resources on running backs. So th- this team, they should be able to trust their running game. And I mean, if they're playing without Charles Cross, who's dealing with turf toe, and Abe Lucas, the right tackle, is dealing with a knee injury. I mean. Man, they're putting an insurance call into 41-year-old Jason Peters mm-hmm. out there. I mean, that's nothing against Jason Peters. That dude's probably going to be wearing a gold jacket someday, but he's 41 years old and started like nine games in two years. So that's – you're not going to be wanting to send Geno back in that pocket too often. I mean, so that's that's an absolute great point. So I, I really do think the points will be a lot less aggressive with the Seahawks in town this year. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sleeping on the Seahawks team. That's a reigning NFC playoff team with a rock-solid defense and a proven head coach. Well, I do expect a better effort from Detroit. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the bar the bar is low. <laughs> um, but like we've seen an improved defense throughout camp. And I was really curious to see how that would translate to the season. And we saw it translate in a big way in Kansas City. They're better at every level. They got better mm-hmm. players, but but like the coaching is better because they have more experience. The guys are making fewer mistakes. And there were some mistakes in Kansas City, particularly with communication. And you know what, Ben? That happens when you play on the road, you know, like it's a, it's a raucous environment. It's difficult. Um, But you know what? Like Ford field is going to be raucous, a difficult environment for Seattle. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be deafening. I always tell people, you know, when the lines are play are relevant or playing like compelling football, um, Ford field is as loud as any place I've been to in the NFL besides uh, Seattle. That's a different thing. Um, But Ford field gets loud and, with all of the hoopla and everything else is built around this team and all the hype. And then you come out and you win that game the way they did in Kansas city, the the roof might fall on the, <laughs> like <laughs> it might fall right on the field. Like that place is going to be uh, an incredible yeah. atmosphere. And uh, Geno Smith and that team, like, like that offense is going to have all kinds of issues getting plays off. And so I think that that, in addition to the injuries, um, you know, that, that have been mentioned about, you know, the, the Seattle's dealing with it. Yeah. That's going to affect them. I think mm-hmm. that's going to help. Hutchinson and company, um, no doubt. I thought Hutchinson, by the way, was very good in week one. Yeah, It might not have showed up with the sacks, but he was all over Mahomes in that game. And uh, some mistakes too, but like in terms of the pass rush win rate and all that, like I thought it was a very effective performance from Hutchinson. And now he might face a backup offensive tackle. Same on the other side of the field with Charles Harris and all these other guys. So I, I would expect a better effort. And then they're souped up with the forward field frenzy. Uh, I really do. I, I think this would be a very challenging game for the Seattle Seahawks to score points. 
No, and uh, make sure you leave early on Sunday. I know I'm gonna. <laughs> ben, I, I am biking to the game. No, that's not a joke. <laughs> you can have my press pass. I was gonna my parking it. pass. For, um, not that anyone cares, but I have a better parking pass than Ben does. So I've got that going for me. <laughs> ben, uh, good stuff. Um, week two is on tap. Uh, Lions, Seahawks from, uh, was, we, have, we expect to be a wild Ford field on Sunday. We'll have a podcast out of that game uh, on Monday morning and um, onward from there. Good stuff, Ben. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.